Hey friends, just a quick note before we get into today's episode. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, we'd love your review on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you use. We've also launched a Patreon account to help cover the cost of producing the podcast, so if you're so inclined, you can find that link in our show notes. Okay, now on to the show. Welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast, where we challenge your family to be rooted in God's Word, energized with gospel-centered purpose, and activated on mission for His kingdom. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of the Strategic Families Podcast. It's great to be back with you. In episode 21, we outlined what we call the CHIP system, and that's the rewards-based motivational system to spur our kids towards growth and maturity. If you used any of these concepts or have additional ideas on that topic, we would love to hear what's working well in your families. So please comment on our Facebook page or drop us a line through our website to let us know. We would love to share that with other people. So today we want to talk about a complementary system that we use alongside the CHIP system. We discussed the idea of using both a carrot and a stick to train our children. You might remember that. So carrots are rewards that can help them accomplish new goals or skills or character development. And though it isn't popular or fun, scripture is so clear that we must also have a, quote, stick when our kids stray or disobey. Sometimes they've already been taught or trained, and they're just choosing to take the lazier, more selfish path. So as their parents, we have the critical role to help them get back on track. I'm going to turn it over to Katie now. Katie, can you help us lay a foundation for why this is needed and how we've applied this in our family? Sure. So I think you're right that Scripture is the foundation for this. And so we wanted to talk about a few passages from the Scriptures. The Proverbs are full of passages, like the one in chapter 13, verse 24, that says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. This is a powerful and important truth, and it's hard to hear, isn't it? Leaving sinful behavior unattended is not in the best interest of our children. We have to ask the convicting question here, are we avoiding discipline for the sake of our child or for our own sake? If we're honest, the inconvenience and challenge of it for ourselves is often the true reason that we don't do it. So we have to think clearly about that. To contrast this, we see in Hebrews 12, our perfect heavenly father, leading by example. In verse 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In truth, it lends legitimacy to our children when we are willing to take the time to correct, discipline, and train them to get back on the path of righteousness. This is our gift to them. If you wrestle with this, and I think a lot of us parents do from time to time, Read through Psalm 119. Over and over, the psalmist, which is likely David, thanks the Lord for afflicting him in order to draw him back to the laws of righteous living. And he talks about how much life and goodness there is by getting back on that path. It increases his love for the word. These would be good passages to pray for your own heart and for the heart of your child. It is really important that our hearts as parents be right before the Lord before attempting to discipline our children. We should not do it in anger or spite. We need to take time to pray and seek the Lord and make sure our own heart genuinely desires the good of our children before stepping in to discipline. To this end, remember the goal of the discipline. It is not to put your child in his or her place. It's to reveal the gospel. 
I have to remind myself of this often. You want your child to see their sin clearly and the damage it does to themselves and their relationship to God and to others. But you then quickly want to help them see that this is precisely why Jesus came to save them. Lead them through repentance and seeking forgiveness and being brought back into right relationship with you, with others, and especially Jesus. This is one of the beautiful things about intentional discipline, that it gives us an opportunity to lead our kids into one of the most profound realities of the Christian life. Jesus died for our sins, just like the ones your child just committed. That should be so comforting. That doesn't mean there are no consequences, but we should remind our kids that for those in Christ, there is no condemnation. And it often results in a hug and you know a connection that you can't really create otherwise. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, though I think this can be applied to all parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a great reminder of what to avoid in our discipline process. Healthy discipline takes effort, planning, and care. There is often work that needs to be done in the heart of the parent first. Have you forgiven? Is your desire to help your child get on the path of righteousness? Next, we consider how this can best be accomplished. The truth is that pain is a good teacher and it may be necessary, especially in the instance of disobedience to something they do know to do. Be sure to keep these lines clear. Is this something they clearly should have known or something in which we've never taken the time to instruct and train them in? It could be that we never made our expectations clear or gave them something that was beyond them. Our approach should be different in each of these things. So with these things in mind, I wanted to determine a clear path for handling these different types of offenses before emotions were involved. For me, it helped to categorize the things we were seeing in the kids to help identify which types of discipline ought to be employed and when. As we looked at our family and what was off track, I saw five primary categories where I felt like discipline or training was needed to keep our family on the track it should be on. The first is disobedience. This is just straight up not doing what we do say or doing something we've told them not to do. It's pretty simple, and this is the strictest of the consequences because obedience is so important to the Lord. The fifth commandment teaches kids to obey their parents, not because we're perfect, but because they need to learn the posture of being obedient to authority so that when they are ready to follow the Lord, they are quick to be obedient to Him. Because this is so central and so important, this is the violation that has the harshest consequences in our home. And remember, if we think of them as adults one day, we want them to have a healthy respect for authority. It starts in our homes. A friend of mine taught me a great way to keep issues of obedience clear for both the parent and the child. I often would find myself kind of wondering, well, do they know? Was it clear? Do I need to repeat myself? That kind of thing. And so I love this method. First, she explained that as the parent, you need to be very clear when you're giving an instruction or a command. You state it definitively, not as a question. For example, everyone needs to get in the car and be ready to leave. This is very different from, can everyone please get in the car so we can leave? How often do we catch ourselves saying something like that? Do not ask a question. Assert clear expectations with authority. In our home, we've made clear that when they're told to get in the car, I expect them to have shoes, coats, and if applicable, bags, water bottles, or anything else they're going to need for wherever we're going. Now, here's the key. The kids are then expected to say, yes, mom, to clearly communicate that they did, in fact, hear the command. Now we know communication happened very, very clearly. So now it's a question of will they obey or not? If you don't hear them say that, you simply call out, yes, mom. And this is their signal to say, oh, there is a command. I need to respond. 
If they don't know what it was, they're expected to seek clarity. If they did hear it, then they should immediately say, yes, mom. I love this communication pattern in this way. If they say, yes, mom, but then delay or don't complete the task fully, everyone is clear that it was disobedient and it takes the emotion out of it. They can't claim they didn't know or didn't hear or didn't understand. It was their responsibility to get the clarity before calling yes, mom. And for me, the only reminder I need to provide is to call out yes, mom. I don't give the instruction over and over. We should expect quick obedience. The one caveat here that my friend included that I really like is that if the child has a legitimate reason why they may not be able to or need to obey right then, they have this option. They can first respond with yes, mom, to show respect, and then they may ask, may I make an appeal? At this point, you may say yes or no. If you say no, conversation is over and they need to respect that because maybe you feel very strongly about it. But if you say yes, they can explain their position. For example, I heard you want me to go to bed right now, but I have one more page to finish this chapter. May I finish it before turning out my light? In a case like this, you're likely to say yes. It's information you didn't have. The child is still obedient and respectful, but they've been heard and respected as well. So hopefully that helps to kind of make clear what an issue of obedience would be and why we would have different consequences for that. So the second area that we had was personal responsibility violations. Now, once you've trained a kid to do something well, like we talked about with the reward system, it moves out of that system and now they're expected to keep up with it. When they get off track and either don't prioritize it or try to get away with not doing it, we have violations to push them back in the right direction. The pain of not changing needs to be greater than the pain of change. So these aren't as significant as disobedience consequences in our home, but they do need to be very inconvenient or frustrating so that the child would desire to change course. When they neglect one of their expected personal responsibilities, such as leaving socks on the floor, leaving their shoes at the bottom of the shoe shelf rather than on the shoe shelf, not cleaning their room, forgetting to unpack their bag, or leaving their items in the car, the consequences are to do extra and usually undesirable chores around the home. It's actually kind of nice as a parent to come up with that list of things that you know really do need to get done but aren't happening week to week. This can be a teaching moment. You can tell your child if someone had to use their time to clean up after you, you can now use your time to clean up after someone else. So often I'll add chores for my personal responsibility violations. Then the next category we have is the manners violation. This feels like a never-ending challenge in our home. Now, not using manners does not have the weight of the things I mentioned earlier, but I do want to inconvenience them enough to care about it so that they'll learn. So we might use something like physical exercise, doing burpees or push-ups or something like that, or they might write out some sentences repeatedly, something that's inconvenient enough to just catch their attention. But of course, we're not going to use something like a spanking or something severe like grounding over manners. So then the next one is an attitude violation. We've probably all dealt with this one. Bad attitudes can sour a home and relationships really quickly. Since this is an issue of the heart, I'll often resort to something more like a gratitude journal or memorizing applicable scripture or maybe writing a paper or something like that to help them process and reset. Again, not really serious consequences here, but they should require effort and will hopefully serve to address the issue of the poor attitude. And the last category that we identified in our home was a relational violation. When children react poorly with one another, I like to make the consequences require them to work together in some out-of-the-box way. 
For example, I used to set the kids back to back and either tie their feet with bandanas to move together or rubber band their wrists together or put them in an extra large t-shirt. Forcing the teamwork at first is a little frustrating for them, but usually they figure it out and they have this issue they've got to deal with right now. And eventually it ends with laughter and it just kind of resets the relationship. So I really liked using that kind of a thing. If tensions are high though, they may start with writing a list of things they appreciate about the other child while they're sitting separately. Or maybe they might write a letter to the other child, an apology note, or they might write a prayer journal entry if they're having that kind of an attitude issue. If one child is particularly out of line and maybe the one that's really instigating, I may give them something to do to serve the other child to make the situation right. Excellent. Thank you for all that. Yeah, and I just want to circle back to something Katie said earlier, and that is remember that with all of these, we want to get to their hearts, right? Many of you have probably read the book Shepherding a Child's Heart, and it's so important to remember with all of these consequences and violations and things like this, we want this to be used to form the character of our child so that they can become more like Jesus Christ, right? Let's not lose sight of that. We do need to give consequences so that we can correct them and train them and all of these tough but wonderful things we've been called to as parents. Let's just not lose sight of the fact that really what we're after is their hearts, right? Okay, good. Katie, thank you for laying that foundation for us. Let's get into some of the details of what the consequence jar actually looks like. Whenever I say consequence jar, I feel like we need to cue some imposing music or something like that. But seriously, we love the consequence jar and it's been just so helpful to us. And if you want to take a look at this, check out our website, strategicfamilies.com, and you'll see what we're talking about. It's a pretty simple system, but really powerful. It's a color-coded consequence system that matches appropriate consequences based on the type of violation that Katie described above. So again, disobedience to a parent's instructions should be addressed more severely than your kid, you know, chewing with his mouth open or something like that. But you may be training both things and need different options. So in our home, we have the five violation categories Katie just outlined, disobedience, not taking personal responsibility, lack of manners, poor attitude, and relational violations. Each category has around five to 10 appropriate consequences for that type of offense, and we just put them on color-coded popsicle sticks. So when a child disobeys, they're instructed to go draw a red consequence, for instance. If they demonstrate a poor attitude, they're told to draw a green consequence, and so on. One of the beautiful things about the consequence jar is that your child is drawing the consequence, not you. Yes, you thought of the consequences, but there's a subtle but important difference in the fact that all you're doing is telling them to draw. And they're sort of, you know, quote, sealing their own fate, if you will, when they draw the stick. And sure, you have to follow up and make sure they did it. And if they can't do it right then, like if you're about to leave the house or something like that, no worries. It's on the card, ready for them when they get back home. And they'll love that. No, just kidding. But it is good because you don't have to remember. So important caveat here, you can scale the consequences up or down based on your child's age. So for example, if the consequence is writing a sentence repeatedly, your oldest child might be required to write it 30 times and your youngest might need to only write it five times. We really strongly encourage you to design your consequence jar to reduce the load of the parents, not increase it. One of the reasons we designed it in this way is that if the child demonstrates a need for further training or correcting, it should inconvenience the child, not the parent. So often when one of our children demonstrates a problem or an issue, we inadvertently take it on as our own to solve. And of course, parenting is going to involve our efforts lots of time, right? But as much as possible, 
We need to help our children see that these infractions are their own problem to solve and work through. We're not really doing them a favor by taking the problem on ourselves because in doing so, what we're doing is robbing them of the opportunity to see the consequences of their actions and determine how they need to make it right. Whether that's making a relationship right or stopping a behavior out of respect for others or taking personal responsibility so others don't have to pick up their slack, whatever it may be. And I think we all know, a large majority of the time, kids are not going to learn a lesson from us just telling them. They have to feel it. This is so, so critically important. If they don't feel the consequence and all they do is just sit through a lecture, which, <laughs> full disclosure, we've been guilty of many times, but if all they do is sit through a lecture, what you're teaching them is that next time, they just have to learn how to sit through a lecture, right? Not actually correct their behavior. And we want them to correct their behavior. That's good, not just for your family, but for them as well. These consequences need to be something they don't like. And I often have this joke, if your kid is fine with what you gave them to do, by definition, it's not punishment, right? We need to have backbones. If you give a consequence and the immediate response is, seriously? Be encouraged, parent. This probably means you've landed on a great consequence indeed. So anyway, rather than the parents needing to stop what they're doing to go design and supervise a new consequence, the child is just sent to draw and carry out their own consequence. And don't be afraid to make these consequences things that your child does to ease your load. If it's required you to take your time to fix the problem they created, whether through laziness or lack of care or whatever, they need to understand that part of living in a healthy community is to recognize the debt that they owe and pay back that time or that effort. I know that's pretty intense. I want to make sure we all understand this is not, like Katie said earlier, this is not about putting your kids in their place or shaming them or anything like that. What it is is about helping them see that their actions have consequences. And we don't need to be mean about this at all. We can do this with so much love and so much care and so much encouragement, but at the same time, call them to account. This will be so good for them as they grow into the adults that we want them to be and that God wants them to be. Okay, I'm off my soapbox for now. Katie, can you explain how you created this consequence jar so that others could adopt something similar in their homes? Sure. So there are a couple of steps we'd recommend in creating the consequence jar. And we actually have a free template available to help you get started on our website, strategicfamilies.com, under the resource tab. And it's on a page called Discipline Made Simple. So the first step is to brainstorm the types of offenses commonly made in your home that you're ready to address. If the list is long, and for some of us it can be, Particularly, if many of the things are new to the child, prioritize it to only work on a few at a time. Possibly just one or two if the child is young or if you know it'll take a considerable amount of focus and energy. Be patient. Raising children takes 18 years. You don't have to fix everything at once. Besides, it's better for the child to focus on a couple of things rather than get overwhelmed by a lengthy list. We've been guilty of this a few times and realized you really need to scale it back and just have one or two things to focus on for a shorter period of time. We'd feel the same way, right? Remember, we ought not exasperate our children. And it's okay to include things you've already been working on to continue that path. If they're already working on cleaning their rooms or manners or things like that, you can keep all that in there. But try to keep it to only one or two new things that you're having a child work at. The second step would be to categorize these kinds of offenses and set a color for each category. Third, you're going to brainstorm a list of the punishments that would be fair and effective for each category. Try to be creative with some of these and really think about what would help address the actual heart of the issue. 
Some will have more severe consequences than others. Remember, as Graham said, consequences should be painful. The pain of staying the same needs to be greater than the pain of change. If not, nothing is going to happen. The fourth thing is to go ahead and write out the list of consequences. And you can either use pieces of paper or the popsicle sticks. We had talked about this whole concept in a charting a course class we taught recently. And one of the participants said that when they put it together, they used colored popsicle sticks, which is great. They're already ready to go. So grab those at the dollar store or whatever, and you write the consequences on each by color. We've actually adopted it that way ourselves. Put those sticks all in a jar, shuffle them around, and then make a label on the outside of your jar that makes it really clear. Red is for disobedience and green is for manners or however you set it up. The next step is to have a family meeting. Can you tell that we love these family meetings? And set very clear expectations. Help the kids see what's not going well and why that's a problem, how they can fix it and what should be done instead. Remember to make crystal clear what success looks like so that they can attain it. Most kids really do want to do what's right, but sometimes we're not real clear on what that looks like. So make sure they're really understanding that. And then share with them what some of the potential consequences will be if they continue the behavior that they were doing. And then the last thing is, and this is really important, commit with your spouse to being consistent for at least 21 days. Habits take time to form, and if you really want to see your kids succeed in your training program, you need to stick with it, even when it's inconvenient. And so this may mean that you need to prioritize things, and that means you're not doing some of the things that you were or that you're willing to maybe be late to some things or to not get some of the things done that you were before so that you can put extra emphasis on this in your home. And it's just for a time. You have to remember it's only for the three weeks, but you want to be really committed to it. So again, for some of the ideas of what kinds of age-appropriate training to consider and possible consequences that you might be able to use, we did create this consequence jar sampler on our website, and I think it would be a helpful place to start. Again, you can find it under the resource tab on the page called Discipline Made Simple. Excellent. Yeah, I hope you guys will take advantage of that and start to work in a similar system in your own homes. That would be really cool. Okay, so if you listened to the last episode, you'll remember that we also talked about having a family meeting to implement the CHIP system. So if you've already done that, great. And if not, no worries. Have just one family meeting and roll out both the CHIP system and the consequence jar at the same time. I can pretty much almost guarantee you that your kids are going to get behind both of these. They'll probably actually have some fun with it. I know your kids are not necessarily going to be excited about the consequence jar for sure, but I think they will appreciate the chance to be a part of it. So involve them as much as possible. Okay, so Katie, thanks for running through those details. And in case you're feeling daunted by those steps, like I often do with a verbal list of instructions, again, just grab that free sample on our website. And we're also going to put some things in the show notes to help folks. Okay, so now let me take a quick minute to encourage you parents out there by sharing some of the benefits of the consequence jar that we found. So first... Rather than allowing our emotional barometers, so to speak, to determine the consequence in the moment, we can more equitably and reliably predetermine what kinds of violations deserve particular types of consequences. This is so hard to do in the moment. And when you determine it in advance, so much better, so much easier, right? This will provide far superior training for our children than their daily, quote, reading of how much they can get away with because mom or dad is in a good mood or a bad mood today. If a kid eats with their hands during dinner, we can just say, go grab a bad habit stick. It's that simple. So it's awesome. 
Secondly, the consequences are pre-written and can be tacked under the child's name or placed in their jar or box and can only be removed once they complete it. Very easy to keep track of. This eliminates the potential of forgetting to follow through if the consequence can't be served immediately for whatever reason. Remember, don't allow any benefits or privileges, even if they've earned it in the reward system, until all consequences are fulfilled. It's just a great check and balance for those two systems. Third, when the child draws his or her own fate, so to speak, from the jar, it helps them recognize their own responsibility for the wrong. Fourth, the consequence jar removes emotion from the equation. This is so key. You aren't choosing a consequence in anger, and by the child selecting it themselves, it doesn't feel like something the parent is, you know, arbitrarily doing to the child. It feels like something they're actually doing to themselves. And that's a really important distinction. And it's true. If you made the rule clear and they violated it, in a way, they are actually choosing the consequence. Of course, they won't see it that way, but this is our job as parents to help them see that, no, through that disobedience or through that violation, you were, in effect, choosing this consequence. Of course, they may not have meant to, or they may have forgotten, but feeling this consequence will help them see the connection between their actions and the outcome, rather than trying to blame you for giving them a punishment. Obviously, I'm not saying this will be perfectly ordered in your kid's head, but it's a great way to help them start learning this lesson. And fifth and lastly, it largely runs on its own once it's set up. As the parent, all you do is identify the type of violation, tell the child to draw the stick, and then serve the proper consequence drawn of that color. You can step back and let the process teach the child and allow him or her to own the consequence. Granted, you may have to periodically check to ensure the consequences are being served, and there is a certain amount of trust you have to have with your children. But once you get this going, the system has staying power and removes a lot of the effort from discipline. Funny, this actually just happened this morning. Our four-year-old had a relational violation, and now she has to set the table for two more days. She's already serving a three-day sentence as it is, so we'll have to hold her to account. But here's the cool thing. She knows it's her job, and that is a great job for a four-year-old, by the way. Okay, so like we've said before, Katie and I are in the thick of it with you as parents ourselves, so we know this can take some time and require some work. Both the chip system and the consequence jar are going to take some time for us to set up, but here's my challenge to you. Think of it as an investment. Remember and be encouraged that you are investing in their future and helping them to take ownership and responsibility as they grow into adults. There are huge rewards to be gained over time not only for you and your children, but also for your family as a whole. Well, that's all for today. We really hope these two systems, the chip system and the consequence jar, can help you regain order, joy, and peace in your homes that are sustainable for everyone. By God's grace, hopefully these tools can help you help your kids grow into the godly, contributing, and compassionate men and women God has called them to be. For our next episode, we have an awesome interview to share with you with author and speaker David Benham. David is a bold man of God who is so intentional with his family, and he's going to cast a vision for us on how to raise courageous children in this generation. So you will not want to miss that interview. Check us out on strategicfamilies.com. And if this show has been a blessing to you, share it with others and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.